and find in your Bible with me the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7 as we conclude our series, Faces in the Crowd, this morning. Luke chapter 7, hold your place there. Uh, Moms, you are not birthing persons. You are mothers. You are moms. Our culture has continues to seek to devalue parents. It's been devaluing and diminishing the status and the need for dads for a long time and now has taken its greatest swipe at moms. Devaluing mothers and, and, and officially referring now to moms in government documents, official documents, as either birthing persons or pregnant people. The 2022 Biden administration budget has removed the term mothers or moms or anything, motherhood, and replaced it with birthing persons and birthing people. The CDC now requires its employees and all of its documentation refers to pregnant people. Uh, the reason for that is because we have, it's not be- only because we're devaluing moms and people, we are we're devaluing truth, the biological fact that women are mothers and not and, and, and this goes to why they've made this linguistic change is uh, that now some women uh, identify as men. And they identify as men, but they can still physically give birth, so they are birthing people or a birthing person. No, biological women who give birth are moms. Uh, that's what the Bible teaches, and the Bible teaches the truth. So we affirm you, moms, and with that, we affirm all people, and in particular, all, all women. You know, God doesn't base the value of a woman on whether or not she's a mother. A woman is valuable because she's created in the image of God, and she's created with the personality God gave her, and she serves him. You don't have to be a mom to be valued. Uh, but the Bible also values moms for the influence they have on their children, their culture, and their community. You know, interesting thing in Scripture, as we'll see in just a few minutes, as God goes out of his way. God goes out of his way, literally, to value moms, to value moms. So remember that, moms, you are valuable, regardless of what the CDC or the government says these days. So how do we, how do we know when we go back to Scripture? We go back to Scripture for the truth. And as I said, we're going to wrap up our series, Faces in the Crowd, this morning. Uh, and by the way, let me, know, let me tell you where we're going from here next Sunday morning. We will start a little bit earlier than usual, but our summer series and a character in Scripture, we're going to be looking at, the, at Daniel and, and the book of Daniel and talking about living for Christ in a hostile culture. And that's how we'll open up the summer. Uh, then toward the end of the summer, we're going to be preparing ourselves for 9-11, which falls on a Sunday. Did you realize that? September 11, 2022 falls on a Sunday. So we're going to lead up to that talking about heroes and the character of heroes leading up to 9-11. But next week, be here as we start a series about living for Christ in a hostile culture. Uh, this morning, we're going to see Jesus traveling again, as we have so often in this series. Uh, we're backing up just a bit from where we were last week, and we're landing right in the middle of his most popular time of his ministry as it's portrayed in the Gospel of Luke. You'll recall that he'd been living in Capernaum about five miles from his birthplace of Nazareth because when he visited Nazareth early in his ministry, uh, they did not accept him as the Messiah and they forced him to leave. And the Bible says when he left Nazareth, he traveled to Capernaum where Peter and other disciples already lived at this lakeside village called Capernaum. And that's where he lived. He called that home for a long time. 
Well, in this story, he has left Capernaum and, and again has a great crowd of followers. They're very excited about Jesus and what Jesus is doing. Uh, and he's going to travel from Capernaum to a city called Nain. And this is the only time in the Gospels this place called Nain is mentioned. And Luke is the only one that tells the story we're going to read this morning. But he has a particular purpose in telling it. And something goes along with it that we all need to remember. And I want you to, to tuck this away right off the bat. Tuck this away and keep it in mind as we look at this story. It's really very simple. There's a very simple truth that's portrayed in this story. And, and this is it. Jesus is all you need. Just that simple. Jesus is all you need. Luke chapter 7, we're going to start reading at verse 11. Look there with me. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped, and he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. The singular truth here is that Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. It's very obvious that this is a story about Jesus raising a dead man to life. That's, at face value, that's what the story is about. But as we often see, God has embedded in historical events, actual real events. This is not an allegory or a metaphor. It happened just the way Luke reports it. And God has embedded in these events by his sovereignty and his providence his own perspective. He wants us to see what he's doing and how Jesus is God in this moment. Here's, here's what I mean. This is not only a story, a simple story about Jesus raising someone from the dead. Uh, this is a story about two crowds. It's a tale of two crowds. You have one crowd coming with Jesus out of Capernaum, traveling and finally arriving at the city called Nain. This crowd is excited. This crowd, to this crowd, Jesus is popular. This crowd is all about seeing Jesus do a great work of God. This crowd is traveling into the city. Uh, that is to say, they're going to new places with Jesus. It represents new life, and following Christ is all about new life. That's the first crowd. The second crowd is coming out of the city and going to a cemetery. The second crowd is in a funeral. They're in a processional because someone has died. Their lives at that moment are all about death, not life. And the story shows us that what happens when the two crowds collide with Jesus, the Son of God, in the middle. But it's not only a story, a tale of two crowds, it's a tale of two sons. It's a tale of two sons. It'll be a while before Jesus is arrested and then executed and then rises from the grave, but you can't help but notice the similarities in this story. Jesus, the only Son of God, the Father's one and only begotten Son, this woman has but one Son. They're both only sons. Jesus meets this man after he has died and, and displays and applies his power to raise this man from the grave. And as we'll see in just a moment, he, there's only one reason he does this. 
You have to think that in that moment, Jesus wanted people to remember that when they watched him die, the power of life resides in Jesus Christ, in the Son of God, and that when it comes down to it, all you need is Jesus. And third, it's the tale of two mothers. One of the mothers isn't present yet, but she's reflected kind of in the background, almost as if she's in the shadows, and that's the mother of Jesus himself, Mary. Because don't you think Jesus considered in that moment how his mother was going to feel the day he died? If his mother was participating in a funeral processional just like that, not long from that moment, he had to reflect on that. And as God himself He knew prophetically what was coming up. So on this day, Jesus behaves as God. Always remember, if you want to know what God's like, look look at what Jesus does and what Jesus is like. And for us, we find this woman in her worst moment possible, and suddenly God shows up and does what only God can do. Jesus is all you need. For a few minutes, I want us to reflect on that. In fact, let's put it this way. I want to look look with you at at three reasons. Simply put, Jesus is all you need. This is for our moms, but this is for everybody too because everybody needs to remember that Jesus is all you need. And the Bible reminds us of that. Here's three reasons Jesus is all you need. First of all, Jesus gives God's compassion. Jesus gives God's compassion. He brings God's compassion on display to that moment. We are told that Jesus is coming into the city of Nain, and there's a funeral procession coming out. A dead man is being carried, and and he was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. He he bumps into this funeral procession. And if you're not careful, you read it to think that maybe it was accidental. It was almost as if Jesus had no idea there'd be a funeral procession. But as as the event plays out, we find out in God's timing and his providence Jesus uses this as an opportunity to display the power of God. But first and foremost, raises the question, why did he even raise this young man from the dead? Why did he stop the funeral procession? If you'll notice, nowhere in the story does the woman request anything. And nowhere in the story does Jesus say, your faith has saved you or your faith has made you well. How many times in this series have we seen that? Someone asks Jesus to do something, he does it, and he says, your faith has saved you or your faith has made you well. None of that. It doesn't happen here. What is happening, however, is Jesus Christ, God himself in human flesh, is by his own sovereignty and control applying the compassion and the power of Almighty God when he decides to do so. This is the worst day of this woman's life. Her son is dead. They're in the funeral processional. He is being carried along with four to six men above their heads on something like a pallet. Now, in the text we read, it's also referred to as a coffin, but don't have the modern-day coffin in your mind. He's laying on a pallet, and what they would often call a litter, laying on a pallet. He's most likely wrapped up for burial. He's been, uh, he has perfume on him to, to kind of keep the stench away, and they're carrying him out for, for burial right out of the city and, and bump into Jesus as he's on his way in. The mother doesn't say anything, but Luke tells us a little bit about her. Two things that matter. First, she's a widow. Second, this is her only son. That means with his death, 
she is left alone in a world in which women depended on the men to be the breadwinners. The women worked at home. Don't misunderstand. They were hardworking, respected in the community. But it was the men that had the jobs that brought in the money. And it was so much so that in that culture, the woman needed to be connected to a man married in order to survive. So what, what Luke's telling us is the moment this man died, she became destitute. She has no idea what her future holds. Imagine not only the grief and the sorrow of losing your only son, having just lost your husband some time ago, and knowing that once he is buried and in the ground, you have no hope in this world. She could live in shame. She could live with family if they would permit her, and many of them wouldn't. She would be destitute. Then Jesus shows up. And Luke says, with, with clarity, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Luke intentionally refers to Jesus, not as Jesus, but as the Lord. This is Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, applying the compassion of God. And he says, when he saw her... Uh, you know, our, our, our 21st century culture and, and social media thinks we're the ones that came up with the idea uh, that, of saying to someone, I see you, meaning you're not invisible to me. I see you. I see you in your need. I, I see, and that, that, that's kind of been commandeered by our culture. Uh, but actually, the Bible says it frequently because when God shows up, he lets people know, I see you. I see your pain. I see your suffering. I see who you are. And you are my creation. And in response to seeing her in her condition on her worst day, Jesus has compassion on her. We have sympathy for people. We do. But only God can bring God's compassion to that moment. You know, the Bible teaches that Jesus has sympathy for us because he experienced everything we experienced. Jesus, in other words, Jesus knows exactly how you feel and what you're going through. And he brings God's compassion and gives you God's compassion in that moment. That's why Jesus is all you need. Because above and beyond, he can bring God's compassion to your moment. And give you God's compassion. Jesus does that. And God designed it that way. By knowing Christ, you can know that God loves you. He cares for you. He's compassionate toward you. And then the story moves on as Jesus applies God's power. Now this is the most extraordinary part of it to me. Because again, she doesn't actually ask for Jesus to do anything. No one does. So why is it that Jesus raises this young man from the dead? There's only one reason. Because he wanted to. And he wanted to because he cared. No one had to ask. He just did it. Because he cared. And the story is an explicit, explicit reference and picture of the fact that Jesus Christ has the authority to apply God's power however he likes, wherever he likes, and to whomever he likes. Jesus does that. Now, we all know, the Bible teaches, that God answers prayers his way. And we know that God tells us to continue to pray always. In fact, Jesus emphasized prayer and prayers of faith all the time. He wants us to pray consistently to him. That's what he wants us to do. And he wants us to uh, put that faith and that trust in him. But this story reminds us that God is always going to act like God. He's always going to do what's best for you in any moment, in any response to any prayer, at any time. 
And sometimes God applies his power just because he wants to. And when he does that, it's always for your benefit. It's always because he loves you. It's always because he cares about you. That's what God does. Jesus says to the woman, don't weep. Now, if you and I were in a, uh, we were at a funeral and we were going through the family receiving line and we walked up to a person weeping and crying over the loss of their loved one and we stuck out our hand and we said, oh, don't cry. That would just be cold, callous, maybe even cruel. Because we're not the life giver. We can give sympathy. We can love on them. We can say, I'm praying for you. We can say, I'm so sorry for your loss. We can give them a hug. We can be genuine. But what we can't do is say, don't cry because I'm about to bring life to bear on this situation. Don't weep. Don't be sorrowful. God is coming in his compassion and his power. But Jesus can do that. That's why Jesus is all you need. You need Jesus Christ to show up, insert himself in your situation and bring the power of God and apply the power of God however he decides to do it because he loves you that much and he knows exactly what is best. Jesus is the one that changes things. The Bible says he turns our mourning into dancing. He turns our sorrow into joy, our grief into laughter because God and God alone can do that. Jesus came up and he touched the palate. Now, in their culture, that made him religiously unclean, but he doesn't care because life matters more. And what he's about to do will make that whole religious ritual unclean part of it a moot point. It, it doesn't matter. He stops it, and he touches it to stop it, and the pallbearers stop right there. And then he says to the dead man, young man, get up. The Bible says the dead man set up and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Put yourself in the shoes of the unsuspecting onlookers of the crowd that day when this man suddenly set up and just started talking. He's wrapped up in funeral garb. He smells like the, the perfume they put on him for burial. But he sits up and he starts talking. I wonder how quick it took them to put him down on the ground. And wouldn't you love to know what he said? It's hot in here. But the Bible is very simple and concise as it always is when it describes the compassion and the power and the love of God. It just says, Jesus gave him back to his mom. Because that's what she needed. That day. That's why. Don't, don't read any more into it than that. That's just what mom needed. That day. This is not a resurrection. This is a resuscitation. And what does that mean? That means that this, this young man will die again one day. And then ultimately, trusting God as his Savior, he will experience the actual resurrection. Like believers in Christ will one day. But on this day, he is resuscitated brought from death to life because mom needed him now. That's all. Mom needed him right now. So Jesus gave him back to his mom. Hey, moms, if you ever wonder if God cares for you, if Jesus cares for you, go back and read that last sentence. 
Jesus gave him back to his mom. He just cares for you that much. He knows what's going on in your life. And if you're in your very worst moment, you can know he will insert himself and do only what God can do. Jesus is all you need. Then last, Jesus is all you need because Jesus confirms God's purpose. Suddenly the two crowds become one. Verse 16, Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, A great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. These are uh, very Israelite ways of acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the long-awaited prophesied one of God. We're told that fear came over them. The word translated fear literally means awe and reverence. It's somewhere between being terrified and being relaxed in worship. It falls right in the middle where a person grasps the holiness of the moment that God has shown up. And in awe we worship, in reverence we are fearful, we acknowledge what's happening. And to them as Israelites, now one crowd Together, those following Christ because of life and those following death to the cemetery, now they celebrate that God is among them. Jesus Christ has shown up. He is the long-awaited Christ of God, the one prophesied in Scripture, the one and the only one that can bring life from death. And when Christ shows up, it changes everything. Remember how we said God wants us to see his perspective God wants us to, to understand what's going on in the bigger picture. God confirms his purpose through Jesus Christ. God confirms his purpose through Jesus Christ. And Jesus confirms God's purpose in everything that God does. He confirms his purpose. See, even the language of the narrative is not accidental. It's intended for us to grasp the stretch, the work of God in history. Because in, in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a, a story that plays out very similarly. It's a story about the prophet Elijah, whom the Israelites believed was the greatest prophet to precede John the Baptist and then Jesus himself as the Messiah. And they expected, the prophecies told them, they would, they would see a lot of Elijah reflected in the Christ and the Messiah when he would come. And in 1 Kings chapter 17... Elijah is visiting a widow when her son dies. And the widow's been taking care of Elijah. And the son dies, and the, the widow is irate. She thinks that the son has died because Elijah is displeased with her. So Elijah goes in the room alone with the son, and he pleads to God to raise the son from the dead. He cries out to God because his reputation and therefore God's reputation are on the line. And he cries out to God, how could this happen? God, hear my prayer. And he physically attaches himself to the boy. And life returns. And the boy is raised. And the Bible says, Elijah gave him back to his mother. Every Israelite would see that reflected in this story. And every Israelite would see the big differences as well. Jesus doesn't cry out to God. Jesus doesn't plead to God to do something. Jesus is God. He is the very power of God, the compassion of God in human flesh walking around. He asserts, applies God's power as he desires to do whatever he decides to do. And it's all motivated and driven by his compassion and his love for those who are hurting. He's not worried 
about his reputation. He just wants mom to have her son back. And that's what he does. Mom, if you're in this room or at home, you wonder if God cares. Remember this story. Remember this story. Because when Jesus Christ shows up and inserts himself in your life, he decides what he's going to do, but there's something that's absolute, non-negotiable. He loves you, he cares for you, and he will always do what's best for you. And he hasn't left you alone. He knows what you're going through. He sees you right where you are. And he knows what you need. He loves you that much. That's something all of us need to remember, isn't it? That's something all of us need to remember. Sometimes God shows up and does great things just because he wants to. Trust him. He knows what's best for you. Mom, I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray for all of us. I want to pray for our moms in particular. And, and mom, if you're in this room or at home and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I hope this morning turns that table for you. Wouldn't it be great on Mother's Day 2022 to trust Jesus Christ? as your Lord and Savior. Put all your faith and trust in Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. So I'm going to pray for all of us first. Then I'm going to pray for anyone, including moms, that would want to trust Christ today. A prayer that I'll just pray with you that acknowledges we are sinners in need of a Savior and that we trust Jesus today to save us from our sins. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pause in this moment. God, so thankful for your grace and your goodness in Christ. Thankful, God, that that young man was able to live out rest of the years you gave him to help his mom and to be a walking testimony of the power of God in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for each of us, Father, we would remember when you do a work of life in us, we are a walking testimony of how you change people and what you can do in our lives. And I pray for our moms this morning, God, here and at home. Some are hurting, some are in need, some are wondering what tomorrow is going to bring. Some are wondering, Father, today, if you, if you care about their situation. God, I pray that we would take this story, this moment to heart, and remember of your compassion and your power and your purpose in our lives. God, you know who we are, where we're going. You know why we're going through this, God. And we're so thankful that you can use even our worst moments for your greater glory, God, for what you desire to do in our lives. So, God, I pray for our moms. I lift up to you their burdens and cares today, uh, everything from just motherhood and parenting to finances and sickness to struggles and heartaches to extended families that break our hearts. God, we lift all that up to you, Father. I pray for our moms. You bless them with grace and guidance and help. And I pray for all of us, Father, today. We all need that as well, God. And I pray that this reminder, this story has reminded us, Father, that Jesus is all we need. So we'll put our trust in you today for those burdens and cares and struggles. And we put our trust in you for purpose and for the future and for the decisions we have to make, God. We give all of that to you today. And Father, I pray with those who would trust Christ as their Savior today, in-house or online, Father, especially for moms, God. What a great day it would be to put your faith in Jesus for the first time today. And I pray, Father, this prayer with them that, that they would put their faith and trust in Christ. And maybe some believers need to rededicate their lives and start over today. Father, we pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've been trying to be good on my own and make my own way. God, forgive me for that. I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. I can never be good enough for that. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and that you're alive today. But Jesus, my prayer of faith is that you would come into my heart and into my life 
forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of unrighteousness. I repent of my sins to follow Christ from this point forward. Father, for all of us that have prayed today, God, let this Mother's Day be a turning point, a time of renewal, recommitment, and first-time dedication to you. May all that we do honor Jesus. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.